All right. You know, uh, chances are there's any, there, you, you've got something wrong with you today. Either you're sick or you're broke or you're, dis, or you're confused, but there's something worse than all of those put together, and that's discouragement. That's despair. Uh, some people say that it's even a disease. Like, if, if we allow it to get into our heart, uh, it can make us sick, and it can, make, it can, like, wound our hearts, even physically. So despair and discouragement is a killer, but there's a way around it. And we're going to hear a story today that is it's very personal for us, and it's very powerful. And it's, some, it's a story that, that everybody in this room can relate to because it is so prevalent in our culture, with even in Christian culture. It's the pain of divorce. It's the most discouraging thing that you could possibly go through. It is, it is more painful than death to have to, to go through a divorce. And uh, this, is, this is so personal and, and close to our heart because this is coming from a person that's been attending this church for 27 years and that have, that have grown up here, that have raised their kids here and have been in key central leadership for a very long time. So it's a very personal one for us. This is her story. Time after time, I see the movie or read Franklin's words. No, it's worse. He's discouraged. And it's as if everything around me fades. The momentary pause, I feel an empathetic connection as I easily access remembrances of my own season of discouragement and despair. The fall of 2004, the marriage that was formed in 1992 had produced two children and provided hours of dedicated service under the covering of this fellowship had become completely unrecognizable. After seeking God's provisional will, as well as confirmational pastoral counsel, a separation ensued. The kids and I moved away from my husband, their dad, and our home. Financially, by all accounts, the picture was grim. My husband had started the marriage 12 years earlier with a secure job, an unwavering commitment to tithing. We had early conversations about tithing, net versus gross, and we always came back to the truth. God gets the first 10% of our income, not 10% after the government gets their cut. We got to where we would reopen the conversation during the tough months, but as we built a business and kept up with the expenses of our growing family, our home, our rental property, and we could quickly realize that the discussion was pointless as we had already made the decision The tithe was not debatable. The business we started in 1996, the year our daughter was born, quickly allowed my husband to leave his job and become self-employed. I was the bookkeeper for the business, the rental property, and our personal finances, and had kept my outside position as a marketing consultant. As we welcomed our son in 97, I went down from five days per week to two outside the home. 
We were living a full and productive life that we recognized was a blessing and a result of God's provision and faithfulness. Our business grew annually through 2001. My husband made some changes in the direction of the company. His vision changed, and there were early growing pains as we shifted course. We continued to, we continued to tithe through the downturn. By 2003, we were out of the black, and we were ever-increasing in the red. The personal and business relationship between my husband and I was stretched, as was the finances. We were on two separate pages and had two different objectives. I was clinging to and pleading to a return of the old staples that had provided security and slow growth. My husband took risk and saw potential, and he had vision. My concern was that his vision did not appear to be from the Lord. Yet my fear expressed was not life-giving either. We both faced lonely and personal struggles. By the spring of 2004, it was clear that my now three-day-per-week outside position could never keep up with the money that was being poured into both the business and the rental property. And after much prayer, I took a step quite outside of my character. Rather than increase my hours in an attempt to bring in more money, I resigned my position with no other intention than to ask for the Lord to help me in my next steps and to spend the summer every day with my kids. The finances were not within my power to control. In August 2004, I secured a little two-bedroom rental home for the kids and I. A bedroom for each of them made the most sense for their transition. I always told them that I was right where I needed to be, in the front room. I boasted that I had the TV along with the pull-out sofa bed. And I could see and hear everything. I was without a job. I had no identifiable sources of cash. Our rental property was in default, and within three months, the home that the kids and I had just left would be as well. I returned to my ex-employer to let him know that I would be returning to the workforce seeking a position 30 hours per week during the kids' school day hours, and I asked him for leads and a reference. The company required no more than 16 billable hours per week, yet I had resigned in May, and they had graciously been allowing me to work 24 hours based on the long-term professional relationship. As I sat with the owner and his wife, he looked at me, and he asked me why I wouldn't return to represent their practice. I expressed my assessment of their needs And I told them what he already knew. He needed 16 hours of service per week. He looked at me and shared that the company functioned better when I was a part of their team. And if I was willing, he wanted me to return at 30 hours per week. I was stunned, overwhelmed, speechless. 
I accepted and I worked with them through 2005. During that first year, God walked me through the successful sale of our apartment property days before foreclosure. The sale of our home, which was in default, a wage garnishment prior to property sale funds to pay creditors. In addition, God carried me through the process of obtaining full legal and physical custody. My husband was absent during this time in almost every sense of the word. Though physically present, his choices and reasonings, attitudes and beliefs were ever-changing. He was constantly battling. Realizing the effect that the move away from their dad and their home would have, the decision was kept to keep the kids enrolled in the same school and surrounded by their familiar church family were easy calls to make on their behalf, even if both would prove to be very difficult and challenging for me. The tuition exceeded my budget, and I'd have to, be, I'd have to pull proceeds from the property sales for as long as there was money in the account after the debt resolution. Returning to worship was even worse, as a broken family after having been married in the church, this church, having both kids born and dedicated here, along with many years of service, presented occasions for reflection of how, of how so much has changed over the years. With those comparisons came the feelings that accompanied grief and loss. God's provision for the kids and I continued. When a stray bullet hit our home after we'd returned from Fallen to Fun in 2005, God led us to an even nicer home at the same rent rate in 2007, to the home we still rent in a sweet neighborhood that even has a bedroom for me. In regard to our income, God has provided through a number of employers, and the commitment to tithing has not changed. By the end of 2005, I had been led to a job opportunity as the full-time sales director of a senior assisted living community, and from there to another community with a better schedule and pay. In 2008, I was approached to be a uh, territory rep for Vitus Hospice. In 2012, a routine sales call resulted in a suggestion that I consider a return to senior assisted living as the executive director of Claremont Place. I continue to serve there to this day. Throughout the years, God was continuously moving on our behalf, and the Spirit was communicating loudly. Pay attention to that. The Spirit was communicating loudly at each turn. In 2010... After six years of separation, I filed to finalize a divorce. The decision had everything to do with timing and moving forward into a new season. From the start, it was confirmed that God's focus and ministry for me was for my children. All of my decisions were and continue to be made through a filter with their best interest being the deciding factor. They have been unsuspected accountability partners for myself. 
In addition, I am beyond blessed with an amazingly consistent, solid group of trusted and faithful friends who have been there in the valleys and on the mountaintops with me, ever ready with prayer, an available ear, and a well-placed word from the Lord. The favor and opportunities and experiences reflected of the fullness of God's love for me have been overwhelming, and I am more than I would have asked for or imagined throughout this continuing journey. I have so many miracles and meaningful memorials recorded in the margins throughout my Bible. Sometimes it's just a date, a name, a brief description of the events of the times. And as I pause, at the, mem- the memories come. I'm always reminded we aren't there anymore. Through God's everlasting grace and love for us, today we are someplace new. It's an incredible story. Not only is her faithfulness and her dedication, God's word did not return void. Her kids grew up in this church, and both of them have served in ministry in this church through all the pain, through all the embarrassment, through all the difficulties and struggles. It was that, it was that commitment, and it was that faithfulness, and, and frankly, it was that selflessness. There's a lot of reason why people move on and make decisions, and usually they're selfish reasons. Usually it's because well, I'm not getting fed, or I'm not, you know, I'm not hearing the word, I don't have, you know, whatever. They, we come up with all kinds of reasons why uh, we're, we're moving on from one place to another. But the key is to be able to hear God's word clearly and loudly, and to know exactly where he's leading us. And in order to get that type of security, I believe it, this, is, this is the test of it. It's faithfulness and goodness. Reminds me of a story that we're going to look at in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. It's one of Jesus' famous parables. We all have heard it before. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, and he calls his servants, and he had trusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then when he went on his journey, the man who had received the five talents went at once, and he put his money to work. And he gained five more. Also, the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off and he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the servant returned and he settled accounts with them. The man that had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five talents and see I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come 
and share in your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share with your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And so I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. The master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you know that I harvest where I do not sow, and then I gather where I do not scatter seed. When will you... Well, when then will you have put my money on, on deposit with the bankers so that I had received, would come and would have a, received in the bank with interest? Take that talent from him and you give it to the one who has ten. For everyone who has been given will be given more. And he who has an abundance, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, usually pastors, we, we like to, to tell you this story, this parable, uh, like when we want you to volunteer for stuff. Um, and, and, and the context is always, you know, okay, what has God given you? And are you, are you using the gifts and the talents and the abilities the resources God has given you? Are you using, the, are you using what God has given you? Because the... Um, these are servants. They're not free people. They don't live in the Republic of the United States of America. They're servants. So they belong to the master. They belong to Jesus. And the money that they do have does not belong to them because they're servants of Jesus. It's an important thing to get in everything that we have and everything that, that God has blessed us with. It's not our money. It's God's money, and he's allowing us to use it. And likewise, this one's even tougher. Uh, if you have kids, they're not your kids. They're God's kids, and he's allowing you to steward them. He's allowing you to take care of them. They're not yours. I know they've got your DNA. I know they've got your personality and your characteristics, but they belong to the Lord. You don't own them. Jesus does. He's the master. It's so easy to look at the wicked servant, but you know what? Frankly, it's harder. And then, unfortunately, Jesus doesn't give us a lot of detail. It's a lot harder to look at the first two, the guy that had the five and the guy that had the two. You see, it wasn't easy for them to double their money. That's the part that Jesus leaves out. He doesn't talk about the hardship. He doesn't talk about the pain of life. He doesn't talk about the loss or the disappointment or the discouragement that the, that the guy that had the five and the guy that had the two had. But they had, they had to work in order for that to be multiplied. So we don't, what was the secret of their success? Because Jesus, does, well, he does tell us. We're going to get there. What's the secret to their success? How are they able to step into the fullness and the happiness of God? Because he doesn't describe how they invested the money. They didn't describe what they did. But there's a clue. 
It is in their description. It is in their identity, and it is in their character. And Jesus calls them good and faithful. And our sister was both. She was faithful, even when she didn't want to be faithful. She came to a church when it was socially awkward, and she did it for her, kid, for her kids. She was faithful. She was faithful in the tithe. Look, I don't know about you, but if I had lost everything financially, I would be rethinking this tithing thing. Because I'd be thinking, it ain't working out, Lord, right? If I had lost my marriage, lost all my finances, all my investments, and there was like, all right, your word says that, that uh, test me in these things and you will be faithful. And so, all right, God, I'm all in. I'm going to tithe the day. So I want that hundredfold you know, return like this week would be nice because I've got some bills to pay. No, they lost everything. And yet they remained faithful. Who does that? Who does that? You see, to double your money is a very difficult thing. Faithfulness does not come easy. It's a lot easier to make fun of the guy that buried his talent rather than to push ourselves into a faithful lifestyle where we are 100% committed to the Lord and to his family. It's a lot harder. It's much easier just to bury your stuff. And she was good. She had other people's interests in mind above herself. She slept in the living room on the pull-out couch. Most people, when they go through a divorce in a church, they're out, especially if they're in leadership, because this is too hard. This is too painful. Why'd she stick around? She did it for her kids. She needed to build in some consistency. She couldn't afford private school, but she wanted consistency for her kids, so she made it happen. She worked hard so that she could be both faithful and good. And I think that that's the secret to this success. I know a lot of really good people, but they're not faithful. You do too. They're at work. They're around. Everybody everybody wants to be good, but are they faithful? And likewise, I know a lot of faithful people that just aren't very good, like Patriot fans, right? <laughs> so they're, they're faithful, but they're not necessarily good. So I, I don't know, ouch. <laughs> right? But we can do this. We can, we can dedicate ourselves like, I'm, I'm, I'm digging in my heels, and I'm, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm in it until I die, right? But... If you allow your heart to get hardened, you can't be good because even the faithfulness is done for selfish reasons. It's done for ego reasons. And you have to consider others above yourselves. You have to be faithful and you have to be good. Um, in the tithing, it's the only... It's the only commandment in the Bible where God says, you can test me in this. You want to dedicate your finances, 10% of your gross, you test me in this, and I will prove to you 
that I will be faithful. It's the only thing in the Bible where God says, all right, let's do this thing. You can test me in this. Um, If you do, if you prayerfully go home and if you consider it, okay, do I really want to put God's mark on my finances? Uh, I cannot promise you that you won't lose your job or that your marriage won't fall apart or that you won't lose your house. I can't make those types of promises. I wish I could. But you know what I can do? I can tell you that God will be on your side every step of the way. And even in the darkest and most painful situation, God will always be there for you, with you, guiding you, setting you up for success. Did you see what was going on in her life? We call them divine appointments. You want favor? Look, favor, okay, God's love is unconditional, but favor is earned. Favor is hard to get by. You have to increase in favor. You can't increase in God's love because he loves you unconditionally beyond anything thing you could possibly imagine. But favor, you have to earn it. And I think from here, we got to see that favor is earned through faithfulness and through goodness. Did you catch the, the span of years of what was going on here? 25 years of working and being faithful and being persistent and trying to be good. And what does she get at the end? She gets these divine setups. Do, does this stuff just happen? Do you get this when you get your resume out? No. Do you get this when you go to college and you know, you're, you got your career path and you plan out everything? No. Did, did, did she plan all this stuff out? This was God's plan for her life. God set up all of these appointments. God made a way that she could make all of her bills. God made a way where she could have a safe home to live in with her, child, with her children. She surrendered it all to God. Um, Jesus was both good and faithful. We see his goodness expressed every day in this church. When I get a word from the Lord and it, comes, it turns out to be true, that's God showing his goodness and his love and his care for somebody. It's God saying, I hear your cries and I see your pain. We're here to get together and help you. Isn't that an amazing thing? That's why prophetic ministry is so important. It shows you where God's heart is. He's good. And if it wasn't for the faithfulness of Jesus, he wouldn't have went to the cross for you for your sins. He didn't want to. It was too hard. But it was his faithfulness that took him there. If I have the band come on up to the front, and as they're on their way, I'm going to have the ushers come to the front. I'm going to read to you some of the scriptures that our sister claimed that she held on to, that she memorized, that met her at her points of need and kept her going. Joshua 1, 9. I have command, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. 
Do not be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Second Chronicles 15. But as for you, be strong and do not give up. For your work will be your reward. You say amen? Amen. 2017. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm and see. The deliverance of the Lord will give, will God, will give you Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow. And the Lord will be with you. Psalms 27, 13. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. If you need to hear God's voice in that clear clarity, listen to this one, James 3:17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Isaiah 40:28-29. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, right now, we thank you for doing a mighty work in our midst, and we just ask for more. God, for those that are struggling with with difficulties in life and they're struggling with faithfulness, God, right now I just pray that they will receive your gift of faith so they can get through the difficult seasons, God. For those that are dealing with difficulties of, of bad thoughts, of negative ways of thinking, that all of the things that run through their head are not good, God, we pray right now that they will be transformed by the renewing of their mind and they will become good people with that will bear good fruit so father right now i just pray that you come and you just continue to give us powerful testimonies like this that shake the gates of hell that overcome despair and discouragement we ask for more of that and we claim this testimony for anybody that needs it today you're a good god and you have our your our best interests in mind get us through these valleys and up top of the mountains. Your name.